and studying in preparation for this morning. Bless her and speak to us through her, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jim. Okie doke. How, how are we with volume? Are we all okay? Can you hear me all right? Wonderful. Because I'm going to, I'm too short to stand here long term. Also, my eyesight is now failing, so I'm having to use my glasses. It's all falling apart. Okay, so our reading today is Hebrews 11, uh, and we're looking at um, verses 23 to 29. Uh, in my Bible, I don't know if this any help to you, but my Bible says uh, that's page 1210. It could be completely different in the church Bibles. Um, okay, so the reading says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated among the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's really wonderful to be here with you this morning and especially to be able to celebrate with Steve and Jill. Weddings are wonderful moments, aren't they? Real moments of uh, joy and celebration. And we join in celebrating people's wedding anniversaries because it's really quite an achievement. 50 years, 63 years, amazing achievements, aren't they? But also we celebrate because... What we see in these wonderful illustrations of commitment to one another is something for us all. I'm sure both of these couples, you probably know the very worst about your partner, don't you? You know the very best, but you know the very worst, and still you love and treasure them. And that's a wonderful picture. But more than that, it's a reminder to us of something which is to come. In biblical times, um, when a couple were betrothed, um, the, the man would then go off to prepare the home, the marital home. And th- this might take a year, so he might be off for a year getting the marital home ready. And then he would come back and take his bride to their new home. And there'd be a a wedding feast, which might last up to a week. So they did things thoroughly. Um, the, The trick was for the bride not to lose sight of this. Because a year's a long time to wait, right? 
So she needs, amidst the mundane days, weeks, months, to remember that there's something wonderful coming. She needs to know beyond her now that her waiting will be worth her while. And really, that's what we're seeing all the way through Hebrews 11, isn't it? All the people that you've looked at so far, um, people who see beyond their immediate, people who know beyond now, people who are aware that their waiting will be worth their while. So we think about Abel, who was able to give sacrificially, Noah, who spent years building a ship that nobody thought he would need rather than enjoying his life then and there. Uh, We think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who lived in tents rather than building a home for themselves, knowing that God would provide an eternal home. And that's what we see in our reading today about Moses. He sees beyond the immediate. He knows beyond now. And that's really key for us as the church, the bride of Christ, that we are in a time of waiting. Jesus, our bridegroom, will one day come to take us home. And we look forward to that amazing wedding banquet and spending eternity with Jesus, who knows the very worst about each of us, and yet loves us so much that he made a huge sacrifice in order to deal with the shame that we each encounter. So how do we live as those who are waiting well? What what might it mean for us to live as those who know beyond now? We'll consider three things. What does it mean to know beyond now? Those who know beyond now And finally, living as those who know beyond now. So we'll start off, what does it mean to know beyond now? Firstly, I want to say, I'm not referring here to some kind of having received some sort of detailed life plan that God's going to tell you exactly what's going to happen on every day of your life. In a way, that's almost the opposite of what I'm talking about. That takes a little bit less faith than what I mean. I'm thinking about holding all of life within the context of eternity. To know that beyond now, something wonderful is coming and that the waiting will be worth our while. Holding all of life, including our suffering, within the context of a good, loving and sovereign God and knowing that his plans are still playing out. Uh, Our reading tells us that Moses actually experienced quite a lot of suffering. Things were hard for him. I think we often struggle to understand why God allows suffering and to make sense of it. As I was running through my sermon this morning before I arrived here, I was really conscious of the time, so I was looking at the time, it's fine. I ran through, and I looked back up at my clock, and I thought, wow, God has really graced me this morning. Something amazing has happened, and God made time stand 
still. My clock had stopped. <laughs> but it made me think, actually, we are so constrained by time, aren't we? We're so conscious of time. We're always clock-watching, or we're looking at our calendars. I've got X number of days until my holiday, or X number of years until I retire. We're really conscious about time. And that's a bit of a challenge, then, to try to understand suffering within the context of this very fixed, finite time. We have to recognize that suffering happens within the context of eternity. That doesn't mean that suffering doesn't matter or that it isn't real. It absolutely is real, sometimes agonizingly real. We see suffering throughout the Bible, don't we? Um, Thinking about Paul, for example, in 2 Corinthians 11, he lists all of those different times that he's um, suffered. He's beaten with whips and rods. He's stoned. He's shipwrecked. A number of these things, by the way, happen a number of times to him. He's threatened by Jews, Gentiles, false believers. At times, he's hungry, he's thirsty, he's cold, he's naked, and he's constantly on the move. So that's a hard time, right? No one would be considering that as, as easy. But how does he describe his suffering? In 2 Corinthians 4, he says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. If here and now is all there was, it would be understandable for Paul to be questioning whether God is a good God, to allow all of that suffering. If here and now is all there is, then perhaps a loving God should be attentive to our comfort, our momentary happiness, maybe. But God's primary agenda isn't our current comfort. Just as those of you who are parents You're aware, aren't you, that you can't allow your children to have chocolate for breakfast, lunch and dinner or allow them to sit up and watch TV until the early hours of the morning. You can see beyond the immediate. You know that you need to help them to eat healthily. And I bet some of you have probably been called, accused of being cruel and heartless and not loving your children because you won't allow them to eat chocolate or to watch TV into the early hours. But you're thinking about what's going to happen next. You're wanting them to avoid health complications that they might experience later on if they live just on chocolate. You're thinking, if you get a good night's sleep, you'll be able to concentrate at school tomorrow. You'll do better in your education, and hopefully that will provide better life opportunities for you. So you're thinking about what's happening in the future. And even all of that is still not about eternity. That's just in this life, isn't it? It's within the context of eternity that Moses makes the decisions he's commended for in our passage. He's okay with delayed gratification. He knows beyond now there is more and the waiting will be worth his while. think then about those who know beyond now. So the first thing we're told within our passage today is 
that Moses is only alive because others know beyond now. His parents have decided that this is a special child and they'll protect him even if it means danger. At this time in Egypt, um, they were really concerned about the number of Hebrews. And so a decision was made that when a Hebrew male baby was born, that that baby would be put to death in order to cull the number of Hebrews. And knowing that, his parents hid him to keep him safe. I think that sounds really stressful. You can't, you can't reason with a baby to be quiet, even though you know that this is what's going to save their life. So it sounds really stressful to me. But the faith of others impacts Moses in another way. In Exodus 1, verses 15 to 22, we read of two amazing women called Shipra and Pua. If you haven't read their story, I really recommend having a read of it. These are the two Hebrew midwives. And they've been given very clear instructions. When you support a woman giving birth, if it's a boy, kill it. Kill that child they don't. Um, and when, um, when the king calls them and says, why are the Hebrews still growing in number, you know, suggesting you're not doing your job, they say, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. But you can't even begin to imagine what they're risking in doing that, what danger, or what, what consequences they might be facing if they're found out, yet God blesses them. So for Moses to be alive beyond infancy is as a direct result of the faith of um, his parents and the midwives, people who can see beyond now. I think there's a risk in our society today that we see ourselves as separate and individual. I do what is right for me according to my truth and I'm not affecting other people. I'm, not, I'm self-made. I'm answerable to no one. But we know that's not true, don't we? We are, for example, all impacted by the ministry of the um, apostles and the um, early church councils who worked towards pinning down What is good, solid doctrine so that we don't wander into heresy? I suspect that if we consider our own faith journey, that involves Christians as well, doesn't it? People who've shared the gospel with us or who just live in a a winsome, attractive way. People who invited us to church, uh, people who shared a Christian book with us. And that's just the coming to faith. How many people have been involved in your growing in maturity in faith? How many people have prayed for you or have shared things with you to support you as you grow in your Christian faith? We're not meant to live in splendid isolation. We need those around us who know beyond now, those who can remind us that the waiting will be worth our while. So finally, living as those who know beyond now. 
So Moses is a prince in Egypt. And Egypt at this time is kind of a superpower. So to be royalty in Egypt at this time, you can't think that there would be a more comfortable, luxurious, privileged way of life. I don't think it gets much better than this. But Moses has a choice. I'd like to offer you a choice this morning. I've got two, I've got two boxes here. So one of them, uh, it's very nice, very nice box, nicely wrapped. I like to think that there's a lot of chocolates in here. That's, that's what I'm thinking, something really nice. Um, the other one, it looks like it's seen better days, doesn't it? It's a bit stained. It's a, it's a bit crum- It looks suspiciously like someone sat on it. Um, now, the label of the nice one says, pleasures. That sounds nice. The label of this one says, disgrace. So, if I were to give you a choice, between these two, which would you say has greater value? (laughs) You're tempted to think it's this one. Now, I suspect that there are a few of you that think, I've heard enough sermons and children's talks to know that's not the right answer. There's a catch here, and sure enough, you're right. On the bottom of my huge box of chocolates, There's a use-by date, and it is the 23rd of the 7th, 23. And that, I suspect, was last Sunday. So these are fleeting pleasures. They're quickly gone. But this one on the back says, mistreatment and disgrace for the sake of Christ plus an eternal reward. So now, out-of-date chocolates, eternal reward. Which has more value now? This one. But it's easy, isn't it, for us to get really focused on the, on the immediate. This looks better. Moses chooses mistreatment alongside God's people. He doesn't simply tolerate it because he thinks it's the right thing to do. Please really try to, try to grasp this because I think this is, this is amazing. He sees mistreatment and disgrace for the sake of Christ as having greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he's looking to his future reward. For the sake of Christ, Moses endures mistreatment, disgrace, suffering. Reminds me of Paul in Philippians um, 3 verses 7 to 8 when he says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
And this is the glory of what's to come. This is the glory of eternity, knowing Christ Jesus. Seeing clearly all that he is, beholding his beauty, understanding how much we are loved by him and being able to enjoy knowing him without barriers or lies. Moses looks ahead to his reward. He knows beyond now. Do you ever look ahead to your reward? It seems the great men and women of faith thought often about eternity, and that's one of the things that helped them to get through the difficult times. So if we're not considering eternity, it's as though we're going through life with one hand behind our back or trying to do a jigsaw puzzle with loads of the pieces missing. Knowing beyond now is not just about the reassurance that there will come a time when suffering will end, although that is true. And we should look forward to that time where there will be no more mourning or crying or pain, where the old order of things will have passed away, when God will wipe away every tear. That is all true, and we should look forward to that. But the real treasure is that we will dwell forever with him, with Christ. The real treasure is Jesus. Verse 27 tells us, Moses persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He was convinced of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, dwelling with Christ, his treasure and reward. What if we were convinced of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ? What if we really valued Jesus as our greatest treasure and reward? What if we lived for the sake of Christ? I'd like you to imagine something with me. Imagine what would happen if just a handful of us, even now, we live as those who know beyond now. And by faith, we give up the occasional cup of coffee or takeaway and we use that money for church or for missionary causes. Imagine what would happen if just 10% of us live as those who know beyond now and by faith we put others first in our decision making at work, at the supermarket queue, when we're trying to resolve conflict Imagine what would happen if 25% of us live as those who know beyond now. And by faith, we inhabit the gospel with such conviction and we live with authentic joy to the point that other people ask us, what's going on for you that you've always got a smile on your face or you're always joyful? What if 50% of us live as those who know beyond now and by faith we step outside our comfort zone to meet the needs of those around us in terms of our time, our energy, our resources and prayer? What if 
60% of us, imagine this, 60% of us live as those who know beyond now. And by faith, we challenge unjust systems and we give ourselves to the flourishing of our neighbours. What if 75% of us live as those who know beyond now and by faith, we pray for opportunities to invite people to church or to an alpha course? What if by faith, we look for those places God is at work in his mission and we join in. Imagine what would happen if our little network of churches lived as those who know beyond now and by faith we gave ourselves as living sacrifices to be used by God however he saw fit for the sake of Christ. What might God do? Let's do that. By faith, let's live as those who are so convinced and convicted of the inexpressible value of knowing Christ. Let's live as those who know beyond now. Because we can be utterly assured that our bridegroom is faithful that he's gone to prepare a place for us. We can be assured, just as Moses was, that the waiting will be worth our while. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the example that we have in Hebrews 11 all of these different heroes, but we thank thank you for Moses and for the ways in which you worked in his life. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see beyond the immediate, that you would remind us regularly that there is more to come, that we're waiting for something amazing. Lord, would you stir our hearts? Would you retune our minds, our attention and affection that we would be fixed upon you, that we would be pursuing you, that we would come to know you as our greatest treasure and reward. Lord, we can't make that happen ourselves, so we look to you. We ask that you would be at work within us to do this. And Lord, we do offer you ourselves afresh.